Banen. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. What's going on? This is Restaurant Fiction, the podcast that reviews every single restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film, as well as talk about the screenwriting process. This is part two of our episode with Henry Jones, the acclaimed screenwriter who knows a thing or two about the brick from Northern Exposure. And this episode, part two, is quite different than part one because it's all about food. For our new listeners, and of course our avid ones, you'll notice some of the questions we ask are repeated. The reason why? Well, obviously, they're so goddamn good. Also, our favorite question that is repeated is, what are our guests' favorite food tours in cities where they live or have lived? Though restaurant fiction is geared more towards the screenwriter, Writers in general, I don't care if you write menus, novels, recipes, nonfiction, poetry, songs, academic papers for journals or dissertations, press releases, etc., etc. Writing of all kinds and food, along with good drink, need to coexist. They enhance one's ability to let their creativity flow. Henry Jones's list of restaurants that are far from fiction, had to be a complete standalone episode. They're that good. He not only talks about restaurants, but specific foods, which in all honesty, more times than not, one is going to a brick and mortar or a standalone stand or even a food truck for one particular item. Another question that restaurant fiction asks guests is how to make a restaurant, bar, and club pop out on the page. Henry answers the question tenfold by providing rich examples across four different states. Some are still in business, some are not, but all carry resonance. Without any further ado, here is part two of our chat with Henry Jones. Go. Henry, you live some time in Minnesota. Where are you taking restaurant fiction? Now, Minnesota is not known for their cuisine. When I was living there, I moved in like 99. I think I maybe went back for a little bit in 2000, but um, I've been, been gone from there for a long time. And at that time, it was all chain restaurants. It was a couple, you know, mom and pop places, like some, some like famous places, like the Gastoff, like a German brew house. Like they had the big boot. Like if you've ever seen Super Troopers, the Das Boot, right? They got a giant boot of beer and it just goes around the bar. Right, just like one, you know, schlub after another, slugging out of the boot, you know, and, and dancing to polka music. And the waitresses would come around with a snuff box, you know, snuff like very finely ground tobacco, and they'll just stick it under your nose and go breathe, and like, and you're like, oh god, and, you know, and then all of a sudden your, you know, your nose is on fire. Uh, but it was the most fun. It was such a great place, and everybody had a good time. I don't know if it's still there. It's called the Gastoff. Here's what I advise you: if you can eat one place in the entire state. If, you, if you're going to be there, you want to go to Polly Eyes Pizza in Mankato, Minnesota, downtown Mankato, beautiful little old 
main streety looking downtown on the river. Or, or the river is very close. It's unlike it's kind of unlike any pizza you ever had. Like it's not like a Neapolitan, and but it's also not freaking Domino's or pizza or anything like that. It's been there for a long time. My jam there is I, I get the pepperoni and sausage pizza. The sausage goes on raw and cooks on the way through, right? So all that all that sausage grease and juice, you know, goes down into the pizza. I don't know what kind of mozzarella they use, but it's got a lot more flavor than a typical mozz. Like, it's not, like, bland. Like, it has, like, it's got a very deep kind of flavor. You can taste it. All right. So because you are a frequent visitor and guest of the Austin Film Festival, what are your go-tos when looking for a place to eat? Austin, Texas. For breakfast. Literally the best cinnamon roll I've ever had in my life at the Aloft Hotel in downtown Austin. It's an absolutely phenomenal cinnamon roll that'll change your, your concept of a cinnamon roll. They've got, it's kind of a big, like a slice of buttercream on top, like a slice out of a cylinder, right? But it's just, it's not oversweet. Next, on 6th Street, which you, you can walk to from Aloft, luckily, at night, they block off all of 6th Street and, and, and it's crazy, like bars and music and whatever. But there's a little taco stand there called Taco Way, W-E-Y, Taco Way. And this dude makes the best El Pastor taco that I've ever had. If you've had like a shawarma or something where they're carving the meat off, right? Like it's supposed to be that with the marinated pork. Like that's, what it's, that's how you're supposed to make El Pastor. So it's crispy on the outside and whatever. I went there, you know, a couple cocktails had been had, but literally like a couple, like two or something. So, so the, the, in other words, the, which is to say the taste buds have not been deadened. And uh, the bar was closing, and, and I asked the bouncers and bartenders, like, where would you guys eat? And they're like, oh, man, taco way. That's going to blow your mind. I said, okay, great. And it was right outside the door, so I walk out there, get in the line, get up to the front. I order two tacos. Uh, I hit a red sauce and a green sauce. I put red on one, green on the other, lime. And it like, you know, came with everything. So it's got like you know whatever, like radishes, cilantro, onions, et cetera. Took a bite, absolutely transcendent. I got back in the line. Before I felt like I took the first bite, I just got back in the line. And I get, I get back up, and, and I was like, man, give me four. And, uh, and, and he says, oh, you like one? I said, these, these are phenomenal. He says, put both sauces on the same time. Put the red and green on it, the, like half and half on it. And, and, like, and that leveled up to another level. So like, again, like I took a bite, got back in line. And the people I'm with, I'm on my third trip through line, it takes about 10 minutes to get back to the front of line. You know, and the people I'm with are like, Manny, we can't sit here and like, watch you eat tacos all night. And I'm like, well, then leave. Because like, that's what's about to happen here. Right? And so one other, one other guy, like I gave one guy a bite of the taco. And he, and he had it, and he's like, oh, shit, and he abandoned everybody else, too. And we just stayed in that line, and we, we went in this line until the taco place closed. I don't know how, I mean, I had, you know, somewhere 16, 17 of, of these tacos. And you just came back from Nashville. Tell me about the hot chicken there. I was recently in Nashville, speaking of, and I went to Hattie B's and Prince's. Now, Prince's is the original Nashville hot chicken. Uh, Hattie B's is the competitor there's more i mean there's just one prince's there's multiple hattie b's so i went to hattie b's first because it was closer to where i was staying it was absolutely delicious and i loved it and the service was great and the restaurant was clean and whatever i mean you could only sit outside because of the, the covid stuff whatever also edley's barbecue nashville best coleslaw i've ever had so then i, I went to prince's and everyone in, in nashville told me that prince's was better than than hattie b's and they were correct 
there is absolutely no contest with the flavor and quality of the hot chicken. I mean, it's just, it's, there's no contest. It's like a different universe, right? It's like the difference between Pizza Hut and Pizza Emoza, right? It's massive. However, the service is terrible. The restaurant is dirty. It's unorganized. Everybody's surly. If you went and like learned some management and leadership lessons from Addie B's, you know, and got off your high horse because you're the first place that, that thought a hot chicken, right? And started servicing your customers and, and not treating them like they're there to irritate you. Maybe you wouldn't be in a strip mall parking lot making your food. But uh, nevertheless, the chicken is that good despite all the bad service and whatever. But if you, if you want to go and like have a nice, like relaxing atmosphere and, and, and still have a great hot chicken. And finally... Where are you taking restaurant fiction in Los Angeles? Los Angeles. My, the first place on my list, I mean, I'm loath to say it because I kind of don't want anybody to go make more of a late, more of a line. Than it, but I mean, they'd have to drive there. So there's a place called the old place in Cornell, which you have no idea where it is. There's only five tables in the place. And then there's a long bar. You got to get reservations for the tables bar. The bar is, is first come, first serve. There's a winery next door. Just beautiful, beautiful place. But the guy, the Runyon family owns it. Love Runyon Canyon. If you're familiar with the Los Angeles area. So he fixed the place up. It used to be an old post office. And everything's cooked over a red oak fire. So in red oak fire, I mean, that's about 1,500 degrees. I mean, it's hotter than hell. But everything, I mean, everything is cooked over it. Everything. You know, you get a giant, you know, bone-in ribeye. And with that wood-smoked, grilled taste and a huge salad, and a, and a monstrous, fully loaded potato for like 60 bucks. I mean, it's a hell of a deal, and it's phenomenal, and the people are great. They got a bunch of great beers on tap. They have breakfast on the weekend. They make their own bacon. That's no joke. The bacon is about a half inch thick per slice, right? But I mean, they're cooking it at whatever ungodly temperature. It is phenomenal. They make their own sausage, also phenomenal. Blue corn pancakes, blow your mind. Best pizza? I got to give it to Pizzeria Moza. I, th- I think Moza makes a phenomenal pizza. Their ingredients are spectacular. Service is great there, and it's actually not that bad of a price. So, like, if you go to like the regular Moza, like next door, like that's like super expensive. I've been there, and I've been to like there's the other place that's in the same. Yeah, yeah, I've been there too. And I think Pizza Remotes is the best of, of all three of them. Pizzas are fantastic. They do a whole cauliflower head there. They do a roasted cauliflower that's, that's quite good. Meatballs, fantastic. Garlic bread, transcendent. Fried chicken, Gus's. Spicy fried chicken. Best steak? Now, I love the old place. My favorite restaurant. But Beverly Hills Mastro's has the best. My favorite cuts the bone in ribeye. And I think the Beverly Hills Mastro's does it better than anybody else in town. I've had it virtually everywhere else in town, except for I have not been to LKSD Steakhouse, LKSD Steak, which I hear is phenomenal. It's in Downey. You think about it. I mean, the bone and ribeye is probably, what is it, like 60, 70 bucks or something like that. You think about all the labor that went into it. Think about all the labor, like just the cost of the meat straight up, right? It's prime beef, right? Now you got to age it for 45 days. Right, and then you got to pay a guy to, to to cook it. For for that, I say seventy five bucks a bargain. Now there is some in in Los Angeles now, but it's not originally from Los Angeles. Rory's Artisanal Creamery, 
is the best ice cream you will ever have in your life. Malted milk ball ice cream that's phenomenal. But also, they have a fresh mint patty ice cream. It's their version of mint chip. And I don't know if they're still doing this, but back in the day, the original one's in Montecito. But at the time, and this could be apocryphal, but I'm going to say it's totally true because it's a good story. The owner, I believe her name is Rory. I could be wrong. All the recipes and stuff come from her. She would grow her own mint, press the oil out, make her own little, like, super thin little mint patties, and then cut them up, up to put them in the ice cream. Even just their vanilla, dude. That's how I measure an ice cream place. You go, you go in, like, straight vanilla. Just like you got to measure a pizza place, straight cheese pizza. The last time I was there, they stopped serving the kids' cones. Now, maybe they still have kids' cones at the other locations, because that was my jam. So the kids' cone is maybe, I want to say, it's like two tablespoons of ice cream on it, right? It's a tiny little cone, but then I would get like six or seven of them, right? So I could try a bunch of different stuff. I mean, if you were going to get one scoop, that fresh mint patty will ruin mint chip ice cream for you for the rest of your life. Sidecar donuts. Sidecar donuts. Wilshire and third? Boom. They've got... Literally the best donuts I've ever had in my life. Uh, and unlike most donut places, and I know because I used to fry donuts, Sidecar makes them all day. They make them all day long. So you're getting, and, and like donuts really do taste completely different fresh. Completely different fresh. And even, even if it's been sitting there for 30 minutes, it doesn't taste the same. Totally different fresh. I mean, I don't think there's a donut that sits at Sidecar for more than like maybe 20 or 30 minutes maximum. I mean, it's just always people going through there. Have you had the one, there's a poached egg inside the donut. Inside the donut. Like, so imagine a jelly filled, only there's a poached egg that's been, like, it's not burst, right? The, the yolk's still intact. It's a poached egg, ham, and a basil reduction with, I think, a little bit of cheese. Inside, like, imagine, like, a jelly donut, but with that stuff in it. And it is mind-bogglingly good. This will be my last LA piece, I think, unless I think of something else while I'm doing this. Dialogue Cafe, corner of Sunset and Holloway, and I used to live right up the street from there. I've written so many scripts in there. We should, we'll, we'll talk a little writing stuff at the end of this here. But I've written so many scripts in there. My, my daughter was very young at the time. I didn't want to be far away from home, but I still need to get my work done. We had a nanny in the daytime, but I was like a block away at um, Dialogue Cafe, a little family-run place. Uh, the son, Tade, uh, is a hell of a businessman and just a hell of a, a, a human being as well. Kenar and Rafi are his parents. And, and, and at that time, Kenar used to make traditional Persian uh, and Armenian dishes every day. It was what was in the hut like... The hot food for the day it was phenomenal. But then like, it just started getting too busy, too busy, too busy. So they had to like, you know, because that stuff takes forever to make. So they had to start changing up. But one day I'm in there and, and Anthony Bourdain's in there sitting outside on the patio. I went and talked to Kenar and, and, and I said, hey, like that guy's like a famous chef and food critic. And, and you know, it might not hurt you guys you know, if he put out a, a, a tweet. You know, now there at this time, like I'd been there when there was nobody. When I was the only person in there when they first opened. But they'd gotten quite busy by this time. But so... She goes up to Bourdain and asks him, she says, you know, hey, one of my, you know, regular customers, you know, says, like, you're a famous food guy and maybe you could say something nice for the restaurant. And he says, well, you know, li li listen, he's, he's, he's like, how's business? And she's like, well, you know, it's busy, you know, like we can barely keep up. There's a line of people out the door all the time. And he's like, all right. Uh, and he's like, so you're not, you're not like, you're, you're doing all right for, you know, getting the, you guys are making a profit. She's like, well, yeah. And he says, listen, he's like, this is literally the best espresso in town. It's the only place I'll drink it in the entire city of Los Angeles. If I tweet about it, like two things are going to happen. Like you're going to have more people than you can deal with. And I can't come here anymore. You know, and I want to be able to come here. And then she was just like, all right, well, you know, enough said that don't do it. 
So Daiwa Cafe, so the Suntade is, is obsessive about quality. You don't know, there's a rating system of coffee the same way there is for wine. And uh, the highest rated coffee in the city was Intelligentsia. And he went down there and he tried it and he was like, eh, you know, this isn't all that. It feels over-roasted to me. It feels burned. Tastes burned to him. Uh, and But so like he started working with a bunch of roasters to like, you know, finally like figure out, you know, what he thought was the perfect roast and had it rated and, and, it, and he beat Intelligentsia. And for my money, I think, it, I think it is the best espresso in the city by a mile. Their food's fantastic. Their service is great, but also best chocolate chip cookie in the city. I'm going I'm to put my money on that right now. He's also obsessive about that and like, you know, worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And I can't remember what the sh- who the chef was that he was working with, but she's famous, a famous baker. It's phenomenal. They don't use chips. It's some kind of very thick chocolate flake, right? It's not a chocolate chunk. There's not chunks of it in there, right? Like I'm talking like an eighth of an inch thick, right? But it maintains through the baking process, right? It doesn't disintegrate into the dough. How many absolute shit chocolate chip cookies are there out there? Everywhere, everywhere. They're ubiquitous, right? They're all over the place. How many shit scripts are there? Everywhere, everywhere. They're ubiquitous. They're all over the place, right? If you're doing it right, right? If you care about what you do. And you'd mentioned we were talking before about some of the writing questions and, and you know, maybe like, you know, some things that, you know, I would say to, you know, like, you know, some, you know, young aspiring writers or something trying to come in. And I tell you, take this to heart. There are other people who will disagree with me. And they're entitled to their opinions, no matter how wrong they are. Step one, I beg you, and, and, and truly I beg you, do not use, do not ever start a sentence with we see or we hear, ever. Why? Why don't you do it? They're completely unnecessary. They're totally useless. Let's look at it like this. We hear a car drive up outside, right? How about a car rumbles up outside? We see a flash of light in the distance. How about just a flash of light in the distance? Light pierces a flash of light pierces the horizon in the distance. However you want to say it is completely useless. It's not just useless, is what it does, it takes you out of the read. It takes you out of the experience and now you're watching it happen instead of being in it as it happens. You're going to see it in scripts all over the place. And some of them from very good writers. You're going to see it like all over the place. But here's, here's the thing. You can use it, and a lot of people do. But it's not going to make you better. It will not make you better. It's going to make you lazy. That's going to become your default setting, is we see this, we, see, we hear that. And which fucking we are you talking about? And like, oh, the royal we. Fuck the royal we. Right? You're talking about one person reading it is who, is, is who that's for. The one person reading There's one person reading it at a time. One person only. Right? That's reading it. And you're trying to draw them into this story. And every time you say we, you take them out. And not only that, it's two words you don't need. We see and we hear. They're just two, two words you don't need. They're completely useless. They serve absolutely no purpose whatsoever. And if you can't figure out a way to write around that, then you suck. Right? Then you're a hack. You know? And, and so, like, I mean, I'm like, and, and you're just, you're not going to get any better. And you can see people that are, like, incredibly successful writers that are A-list writers, quote-unquote, A-list writers, that we see and we hear every effing sentence in their script. And they are hacks. You read that and you're like, they give this guy $2 million for this? Damn. They are hacks, right? And then, you, you know, you read the people that are doing it right and it's not there. You don't see it. If in the rare chance you do, it's used for an effect. That's one. And I'll also say, as a caveat, you can do all of these things that I'm going to tell you not to do. You can do every single one of these things 
if you are a transcendently superb writer, then you can do all of these things and, and the work will still shine. The odds of you being that transcendently superb writer are virtually nil. If you haven't read the Stephen King book on writing, it's called On Writing, do read it. And he says something that's absolutely true. I'm paraphrasing here, so apologies, Mr. King. But he says something to the effect of like, that, that basically, like if you're a decent writer, like you can work really hard and become a good writer. If you're a good writer, naturally, you can work really hard and become a very good writer. If you're a very good writer, you can work for the rest of your life. You will never be great. You will never, ever, ever, no matter how hard you work, be a great writer. Because you're either born a great writer or you are not. There's only one Jimi Hendrix. There's a reason why. There's one Jimi Hendrix. There's one Bruce Lee. There's a reason why. People that, that are transcendent in their craft are such rarities. Right? There, there's one Albert Einstein. There's a reason why. Right? Those are people that, that are, are you know, naturally you know, functioning in a, in, in a, in a different way than you. And, and it's, it's what, like, in the same way that like, when, when you're in, in grade school, and you got that buddy that's drawing pictures that look real. You'll never be as good as that guy. You can practice being an artist for the rest of your life. You'll never, ever, ever be as good as him. The reason you'll never be as good as him is because he has an innate understanding of how light works. He understands what needs light in a picture and where the absence of light is in a picture. That's what art is. is, is you know, when you want to write, draw something that looks real, it's not about like having the right shapes. It's knowing where light goes. If you are a transcendently superb writer, Maybe there's one of them in the entire industry. Maybe there's one. They can do all this shit, and it just transcends everything. But anyway, moving on, next thing. So don't use WeSeen here. Please just don't do it. It's going to make you a better writer. I guarantee, I promise you, it's going to make you a better writer. Don't use camera directions. Favorite example I like to give. Close up on Larry's eye, right? Why don't you just say Larry's eye? The fuck else are you going to shoot it? Use your language to guide the vision of the person reading it. And then also, every time you mention a camera direction, you're taking them out of the read. Now they're picturing a camera move, right? Pan to this. Rack focus to that. Dolly to this. And, and like now you're taking them out of the read. Now they're not in the universe anymore. Now they're not in that world anymore. There's a fine line, and you got to walk it if you want to do this right. And the only way you can do it right is practice, 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 practice. Stop doing we see and we hear. Stop writing camera directions. Stop using parenthetical dialogue directions. Unless it's to indicate that a person is whispering, or maybe a sado. If you don't know what sado is, that's where like you get two people sitting there saying like something on the side, like you know, fuck that guy, right? That's what sado is. Or unless it's to indicate to whom a person is speaking, it should never, ever, 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 ever indicate a person's emotional state as they're reading the line: angry, sad, happy, etc., etc., etc. If you have to put that in a parenthetical, then you have failed. You have failed as a writer to communicate. Reading that line, you don't know how the person is saying it. You failed entirely. You should know from what's happening in that scene and what you've done in this script and who these characters are, even in the very first scene, how that's being read. You should know how it's being said. But there's a very fine line between enough description and too much. And, and the line is this, is clarity and concision. How few words can you, what is the fewest number of words that you can use and still be clear? Clarity is the main goal. Got to be clear. Right, but what are the fewest words that you can use? Damn. If that episode did not make you hungry, then I don't know what will. 
For more on Henry Jones, watch his TEDx talk on YouTube, go to his IMDb page and check out his work, or just go to one of his favorites. There might be a chance you can continue the conversation with him in person. For us at Restaurant Fiction, we wish we can go to Irv's Burgers, but instead we'll immortalize it in the best way we know how by putting it into the story. I'm Monis Rose, and until next time, keep it real, keep it fresh, and always keep it on the flip side. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. 